We're going to read a passage uh, from 2 Timothy, if you'd stand with me in honor of God's holy word. Obviously, we're not going to read the whole book, but we're going to read the first four verses, uh, a little passage that I'm going to take two of the five principles from. So 2 Timothy, near the end of the New Testament, verses 1 through 4. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. We'll read more as we go through. This is God's Word. Please be seated. Imagine Paul in this dungeon in Rome and all that's in his heart as he's, as he's penning this letter to this uh, spiritual son, this, his, his spiritual protege whom he looks, like, looks at as a son in the faith. Can you imagine all that is in his heart? Not knowing if he's going to see him again, but hopeful to see him again. And in this passage, as I've said, that there are some clear marks of fatherhood uh, for all of us as fathers and as, and as mothers. But here's the first key that we see right off the bat. The first principle of fatherhood is to verbalize your love for your children. Paul does that here. In fact, he does that right at the outset after he introduces himself as Paul the Apostle. He says to Timothy, and how does he describe him? Not in terms of his uh, serving Christ, not in terms of being a pastor in Ephesus, but to Timothy, my beloved child. In other words, Timothy, you are the child, the son that I love. Uh, that word child can be translated either son or child. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message, translates it this way. He's the, to Timothy, the son I love so much. And that's the, that's the point. That's the heart. Timothy, I love you. And Paul does not shrink back, even though he is a, was a tough firebrand of a man in many ways, an intellectual sort of guy. He expressed and verbalized his love and affection for his son in the faith. Also, a few verses later, he expresses his heart uh, when he says in verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So Paul is thinking back the last time that he saw Timothy, and he is thinking back about how uh, that there were tears. And I bet Paul had some tears too, but, but as he said goodbye to Timothy, not knowing if they'd see each other again or, or knowing that if they did, it'd be a long time. Timothy, the tears were came down, and Paul remembers those tears, and he says, Timothy, I long to see you. Timothy, I miss you. I long to see you. He's expressing his heart of affection. This past week, um, I was driving, I think, from here at the campus to our, to, to our home in Creekside, and I was thinking about our oldest daughter and her family. Our oldest daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Mike, and their three kids live about a half mile from us, but they recently found out that Noble Energy, where Mike works, is moving them to Israel. Uh, they'll be living in Tel Aviv, just north of Tel Aviv, for the next couple of years or so. And Gail and I are excited for them. We, we think it'll be great for them, for their kids to be there. Those of you who have any um, 
concerns about going on an Israel tour, uh, you feel safer in Israel than you do in the United States. No tourist has ever uh, been killed there. We feel excited for them and what God's going to do, but we also know we're going to miss them terribly. And as I was driving back that day, this wave of sadness, sadness just kind of flushed over me. And I can understand t- Paul's heart here. Timothy, I long to see you. Timothy, I miss you so much. He's expressing his heart. And later at the other end of the book, he says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me soon. And then later in verse 21, he says, do your best to come before winter. You couldn't travel on the Mediterranean Sea after November. It was just too stormy. So here is Timothy, 700 miles away. That's a long voyage in, in that day. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got to come. You've got to come see me. Do your, please come. Come before winter. Do your best to come before winter. You can hear his heart, can't you? Tender heart for his child in the faith. And every child needs that kind of an expression of heart and affection. Now, I realize that's not just natural and easy for all of us. You know, it's not just natural and easy for me, but that doesn't matter. Uh, express your heart of love and affection. Find ways to do so. Uh, I was sometime back reading a biography of George Patton, General, General Patton, and I came across this little section that I thought was most interesting and really surprising. It was talking about his... Uh, childhood growing up east of Los Angeles on the, in the mountains east of Los Angeles in a large hacienda. That's where he grew up. And when he was growing up, he, he had dyslexia, which sometimes is undiagnosed and certainly back in those days uh, quite likely. And it wasn't diagnosed and he was considered to be slow mentally, kind of dumb. But he had this most incredibly affectionate and loving father. And Every night, out on their ranch, out in the country, before a big fire, his dad would sit on a chair and and gather him up into his lap, and for hours he would read to him from the classic books. And uh, for hours he would do that. And can you imagine the effect growing up, having that kind of love and affection and time on George Patton? Later, uh, George Patton went to West Point. And as I've already indicated, he struggled academically though he was very bright, but he struggled academically. And at the end of his first year at West Point, he was told he's got to repeat the first year. Well, his father quickly cabled him this note. He said, it is all right, my boy, and all for the best. God bless you, Father. And you can sense the kind of heart and affection of that dad. Later, when General Patton was in the military and was an officer, his dad dies, and it just crushed him. Because he thought to himself, I lost the best friend that I ever had. And he was just devastated, grieved and lost because he and his father adored each other. And it started with his dad, the loving, affectionate father, the biggest influence on his life. First principle that we see in Paul's life, verbalize your love and affection for your children. Get it out there, express it one way or the other. Second principle, we also saw in the verses I read, and that is this one. Prayer is a priceless gift that you can give your children. In fact, it is arguably the greatest gift you can give your children. It's not the only gift, but, but until you give this gift, you've not given the most important gift, and that is 
simply the gift of prayer. Now, Paul not only gave this gift to his son in the faith, Timothy, but he told him he did. So in verse 3 that I read earlier, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, imagine Timothy. He's over in Ephesus. Uh, He knows that Paul is in a dungeon in Rome under Nero, who's crazy, and he may not survive this. And in fact, he did not survive it. I doubt Timothy ever made it over there in time. But uh, Timothy is, is receiving this letter from his spiritual father. Maybe he was in effect a father to him. And, and he, he comes right off the bat to these words as I remember. Uh, no, nope, not those words. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Can you imagine the impact of those words? Day and night, Paul is praying for me, my spiritual dad, the power of that. Um, It is vitally important that we pray not only for our children, but with our children, over our children. Because when we bring prayer, we are accessing what God can do for our kids and not just what we can do. You know, what we can do is somewhat limited, but... What God can do is unlimited. And we bring God's love, God's power, God's provision, God's protection to our kids. Fathers, it is how we fight for our families. It is how we do battle in the great spiritual battle, praying for our kids. So so we've got to be praying for them every day, uh, all the time. Pray daily, pray regularly, pray fervently, pray passionately for your kids. Pray for them, pray with them, pray over them. You know, there are a number of things that I did as a father when our kids were growing up, and they're all grown now. I've been grown for a while. A uh, number of things that I did well and some things I did not do so well. One of the things that I wish I could have done better, I wish I would have done better, is this. I always prayed for our kids, but I wish I'd have prayed more with them. And I prayed with them a, a lot, but, but I wish I'd have put them in bed every night and uh, prayed over them when they did that. I'm such a morning person that I just was often the first one to sleep in the family. But I, if I do it over again, I would, I would pull them aside before I went to sleep and pray over them and not just for them. Second huge principle for fatherhood that we see in the life of Timothy, of Paul and Timothy, prayer is a priceless gift you can give your children. By the way, as I scroll through these, all the parents here, fathers and mothers, I encourage you to sort of be evaluating for the, before the Lord. Lord, how am I doing with this one? How am I doing? The third one, every child must receive the message from their father, I believe in you, I am proud of you, you can do it. That is, whether or not you use those words, that message needs to be given to your kids. I believe in you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I'm proud of you. You know, in 2 Timothy, Paul is is in the dungeon in Rome, and Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus, the church that Paul started, and this message comes across throughout the letter. Not, not in those words, but the message is clear. For example, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, of a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I'm confident of your faith. You're a man of faith, Timothy. He's expressing confidence and belief in him. And then in verse 6, 
It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, you've got a gift of God, and you need to, to, to fully leverage that gift for the kingdom. You're gifted. He's expressing his belief and his confidence in him. Or in verse 14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's talking about the gospel. Timothy, you, you've got this. You're entrusted with this gospel message. You guard it. He believes he can. He knows he can. He believes in Timothy. Timothy, you guard that deposit. Or in the next chapter, 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So of four generations of teaching, from Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will in turn teach others also. And Paul knows that Timothy is fully capable, gifted by God, adequate to pass on this learning and teaching about the Scriptures. Timothy, pass it on. Go to the end of the book, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, as he's drawing near the end of the book, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, he assumes Timothy can do all those things. As the pastor of that church, you do it, Timothy. I believe in you. And then in verse 5, at the end of that paragraph, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I mean, it could not be more clear to Paul over and over. This was his heart and perspective. Timothy, you are gifted by God for everything that he has called you, can, you to do. You can do it. I believe in you. That's his heart. I, uh, the last book that I finished was an autobiography of Frank Shorter. If you are a distance runner, if you've done any running in your life, you, you recognize the name Frank Shorter as one of the iconic uh, distance runners in U.S. history. In 1972, Frank Shorter wins the gold medal in the marathon at the Munich Olympics. And that had been the first time since 1908 that an American had won the Olympic gold medal in the marathon, and, the, and, and we haven't won it since then. Frank Shorter was this um, extraordinarily gifted runner. And for the last 30 or 40 years, he has been credited in, in many circles as beginning the, the running boom in the United States, the running movement that sees millions of people involved with these races of all kinds and all these, uh, now these uh, marks on the backs of windshields, 13.1, 26.2, all those uh, uh, things. But he, he was given uh, credit for really uh, stimulating and catalyzing the running movement because of that marathon victory. But in this latest book, as a nearly a 70-year-old man, he tells another part of the story that had not been made public until way late in his life. And that is that he was abused by his father, along with his nine other brothers and sisters. And the story is this. His dad was a physician and really kind of a hero in his community in an upper state New York town. There were 10 kids, and his dad would make home calls and was just seen as just a caring, loving physician. But what they did not see is that when he got home, he would often berate his wife, sometimes drunk. And then he would march up the stairs where the bedrooms of the 10 kids were, and he would call out the name of one and then proceed to beat them physically unmercifully. And Frank Shorter grew up in that kind of environment, grew up in the kind of environment where he never received any sort of encouragement or I believe in you or I'm, I'm proud of you. 
Not once did his father ever see a, a race that he ran, whether in junior high, high school, college at Yale, or any other level, including the Olympic level. Not once. Horrific childhood. And I don't know where Frank Charter uh, stands spiritually, but uh, I hope he knows there's a father in heaven who is perfect and can heal his heart and is crazy in love with him. And uh, church, the power of fatherhood, the privilege that we have as dads to imbue confidence and life in our children. I believe in you. I'm behind you. It's so powerful. The third principle, every child must receive this message from their dads. I believe in you. I am proud of you. You can do it. Number four, be the kind of person you hope your children become. That is, set the pace. Be an example. The power of modeling. Now, this is clear in Tim and Paul's writings, but nowhere more clear than in 2 Timothy. For example, chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you keep following the pattern that you saw in me. Now, Timothy was Paul's disciple. He's going to follow his example, just like your kids are going to follow your example in many ways. The question is, what kind of example are we setting? And Paul acknowledges here, you follow my pattern. Parents can say that. Follow my example. Follow my example. Not a perfect example, but it is an example of being all in for Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 10, he assumes this when he says, You, however, have followed my teaching. You have followed my example. You follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy, you have been following my example. Keep it up. In verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy, keep following my example. Parents, far more important than anything that we say to our kids is the life that we live before our kids because they are watching from earliest years. They don't expect you to be perfect, but they expect you to be real and who you claim to be. Larry Crabb was the most well-known Christian counselor in America about 15, 20 years ago, wrote a number of books. He once said this about his own dad. He said, as a child, I watched with fascination as my dad prayed in church. His prayers were different from so many others. They were real. He seemed to believe that he was really talking to someone. That made an enduring impression on me. I didn't want to settle for shallow pleasure when contact with God was possible. I could imagine reality because I tasted it in dad's relationship with God. He saw an authentic faith expressed in prayer. Or Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, interesting, we don't know exactly where Lincoln stood with God. Um, I think he's probably a believer, but we do know this. He knew the Scriptures. He studied the Scriptures. On one occasion, he said this, there is just one way to bring up a child in the way he should go, and that is to travel that way yourself. Now, when he made that statement, he is a citing uh, Proverbs 22.6. By the way, that's the way that uh, up until the last 30, 40 years that so much of literature just makes all these allusions to the Bible. You gotta, you're not going to know English literature and learning without knowing the Bible. But he is referring to Proverbs 22.6 when he says, 
there is just one way to bring up a child in the way he should go, and that is to travel the way yourself, and that is so wise. It is example. It is example. It is example. And that ought to encourage us because, you know, none of us are, you know, experts. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to uh, have perfect knowledge, but you can set the example. Live the life that God's called you to live. A few, uh, well, not a few years ago, 20 years ago, when Michael Jordan was the top basketball player on the planet, still in the debate about that, um, during that period of time, I, couple, on a couple of occasions, I read biographies of Jordan. It is so fascinating. And I mean, here's the guy who, who was so gifted by God that he, he was clearly the, the greatest basketball player of his generation, maybe of all time, and, and perhaps the greatest athlete on the planet. And yet he said, the thing that, well, he used the word lucky, we'd say that the, the best gift I've ever received is elsewhere. And th- this is what he said. When I read this quote, I thought, man, I've got to write this down. He said, if you're lucky, you grow up in a house where you can learn what kind of person you should be from your parents. And on that count, I was very lucky. It may have been the luckiest thing that ever happened to me. I mean, here's a guy that really received an extraordinary gift, but he said, here's a better one. The example that my mom and dad set for me. That's powerful. Parents, we've got the privilege of living the life that we would hope our children can live. Not that they have to have the interests and the personality that we do, but have the values, the heart, and the faith that we do. Be the kind of person you hope your children become. All right, church, I got one more. And that's this, point your children to Jesus Christ and not to yourself. That is, you're not the hero of the story, Christ is the hero of the story. You don't have to be perfect because you're not the Savior. We've got a Savior and you're not it. So there doesn't have to be any pretense about this. But if you live your life for Jesus Christ and not for your kids, that is the best gift you can give your kids. Because If Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life, if if Jesus Christ is the main, if your greatest love and affection is for Jesus Christ, that is the best thing that you can give for your children. Now, we see this in Paul's life. Sometimes in his letters, it's explicit. Sometimes, like in 2 Timothy, it's more implicit. But for example, in Philippians 1.21, for me, he says, to live is Christ. My whole life is Christ. To trust Him, to obey Him, to follow Him, to serve Him, to seek Him. My life is Christ. Paul was very clear. Jesus Christ was the most important thing in his life. And in this letter, uh, though he doesn't say that quite that clearly, it's clear. Right off the bat, he defines himself in light of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I'm a messenger, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Or in verse Later in that verse, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Later in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. On and on he's talking about Christ, Christ, Christ. Down in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Uh, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, I'm his servant, I'm his slave, I'm his captive. He's my master. He's my Lord. Whatever he says I do, he was all in for Jesus Christ. If you just sort of look at the verses in chapter 2, just almost every other verse, he's talking about Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. You know, he's, he's all in for Jesus Christ. So Paul would be very clear 
about Timothy. Timothy, you're not the most important thing in my life. You're very important to me. I love you. But join me in the great adventure of life in pursuing Jesus Christ. That is so vital for parents. Uh, if, if you don't do that, um, if you live your life around your parents, and, and, and at this point, if I could just gently say to you, I see a lot of this in the Woodlands area, and, and parents are making a mistake at this point, that if their children become the center of their world, uh, that's not good. That's too much pressure on a child because that, that means that your happiness uh, that depends on how, how they're going to do. That's too much pressure. They don't need that. What they need is to see you following Jesus Christ and to join you in that great journey. You're not going to neglect your kids. You're going to love them fiercely. I've, I've already made that clear. But they're not the center of your world. Parents, beware. If I could quote Larry Crabb again, notice what he says. He says, by living for something more important than his children, a father gives them the most precious gift any father can give, the gift of transcendence, that is, going beyond the human to God. He says, his ongoing involvement with them keeps them from feeling abandoned and worthless. His passion for God keeps them from thinking they are the center of life. Instead, they are drawn to join him in pressing onward to the highest goals. Dads, we can do that. We, love, we don't love our kids one bit less. We love our Lord a lot more. And we are focused, centered, intoxicated with the Lord Jesus Christ, our God who made us and who came to earth to die on a cross for us. Make Him the great pursuit and passion of your life. Number five, point your children to Jesus Christ, not to yourself, by your life. May they see you uh, every morning meeting with God before an open scripture. May they see you in God's house on Sundays. May they see you knowing that you give generously to God and not are swept out by fear. May they see you obeying, pursuing, seeking after the Lord. Five principles. They all apply to our discipling relationships of various kinds, but they certainly apply on Father's Day to our parenting. One, verbalize your love for your children. Two, prayer is a priceless gift you give your children. Third, every child must receive this message from their father. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. Four, be the kind of person you hope your children become. Five, point your children to Jesus Christ, not to yourself. Not a one of us as dads do this perfectly, but the grace of God is greater than our sin. And he can wipe the slate cleaner and, and don't live in guilt for sin that Christ has already paid for. Claim the grace of God, start afresh today and go for it with all you got. Let me close with this story. It happened uh, uh, six years ago uh, in 2011 to, uh, at, a, at a retirement party for Charlie Howe. Charlie's and Rhonda over there on the side, and Charlie is, has been our lead elder for a number of years and is a close friend. And when Charlie retired from ExxonMobil, uh, there was a retirement gathering with some ExxonMobil employees, but Charlie invited some of his friends and family also. And I was very impressed, by the way, with how ExxonMobil honors folks when they retire. And there were some executives there who, who expressed appreciation and affirmation for Charlie. And that was great. And I think I got up and said some things, and a few others of us said some things who knew Charlie. 
And then after a bit, uh, when we're about to wrap up, his daughter Ashley stands up. Ashley is um, also a part of our church. Ashley, are you over there somewhere? Yep, I see that hand. So uh, Ashley um, is a young mom, a wife and mom, and and she, uh, by her own admission, would say, I'm not a speaker, but she has to get up. And she, she gets up. And it kind of pauses, and it's kind of emotional. And I remember this so well. In fact, I wrote down what she said. But she gets up, and she kind of pauses. And then with deep emotion, she kind of blurts out, you are the best dad ever. And she goes on to describe how she had made some bad decisions in high school and how her dad had loved her unconditionally through those periods. And she gave one anecdote about that. She said one time they were having an argument, and, and um, she, you know, was in the room with her door closed, and her dad sat outside the door so he could just talk to her through the door and, and, and be patient and loving, as opposed to kind of walking away. Sat outside the door. What a picture. And after she had said a number of things about her dad, she closed with these words that I wrote down. She said, Dad... You have set the bar for our family so high. You are such a godly man. Your heart for God radiates through our family. Your heart for God radiates through our family. Because uh, though Charlie adores his two kids and loves them greatly, his first love is for Jesus Christ, and that love radiates through the family. Men, our children need that. Men, our country needs that. Let's be the men of God that God has called us to be. And may our love for God radiate through our family, through our neighborhoods, through our communities. Would you stand with me? Lord, I thank you for the men of Wood's Edge. It's my great privilege to walk with these men. Not perfect, but real. So many, Lord God, have the courage, the fortitude to love Jesus Christ. Help us all. Help us all. We need your grace. Friend, if you're here in the room and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is the first courageous step, to bow before your creator in your heart and say yes to Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come and, come and save me. He'll do it. He'll do it. Lord, bless the dads here. May they feel your pleasure in them. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.